I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to a special edition of Catalyst for Change, the race for Boston. Over the next few weeks, we'll introduce you to each of the mayoral candidates and their vision for Boston. Today, we are joined by Dr. John Santiago. John is currently a state representative for the 9th District of Suffolk County and is an attending physician in Boston Medical Center's emergency room. John studied medicine at Yale Medical School. He served in the Peace Corps. He was a Fulbright scholar, and he serves as a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve. John lives with his wife in the south end of Boston. John Santiago, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. So um, you're running for mayor and uh, you grew up in Boston, so you know Boston well. John, can you talk a little bit about uh, what early life was like for you um, in Boston? And did you attend Boston Public Schools? Tell tell me a little bit about yourself. No, I'd love to. You know, I I grew up in, in a lot of different places, you know, and Boston was one of those places. But why Boston was so important for me, because these are my first memories, you know, I actually was born in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Um, We came to Boston in the late eighties and we came here in search of opportunity, really for an opportunity to get educated. You know, my father, he wanted to graduate college and he ultimately did. He went to Northeastern full-time at night. Uh, Northeastern was a bit different back then than it is now, but nonetheless, he went there full-time and during the day he worked and my mother took ESL classes at UMass Boston. So for me, you know, coming to Boston was really about education, you know, and kind of post- uh, you know, high school level. Uh, so we, we lived on Ruthven Street at, in Roxbury um, on the corner of Elm Helm. Classic Puerto Rican household, uh, you know, six of us, you know, we you know, depended on Section 8 vouchers. I got bused to the Mather, um, the oldest ele- public school elementary in the, I think in the, in the country, I want to say. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I recall uh, going to school there. Um, a very diverse, you know, I still look at my you know, second, third grade pictures, and it's full of my minority folks like myself. And, but yeah, I, I do remember also getting educated there. And what's great about living in a place like Boston, I think, you know, when you compare this to other parts of the country, um, you know, because we left tech, we left the Texas shortly thereafterwards for a number of years. And even at Boston, despite the disparities that exist here, even if you were a smart, you know, child, if you had some talent, some some potential. There were programs and people who look out for you. So I remember being in a reading program there um, that they gave to me. And, I, and this is what started my initial love for reading. Um, and I just went through books after books after books. And one of those books was the Encyclopedia Brown uh, collection that I recall. Love that. Um, so yeah, so, for, so Boston me was the first of memories. Uh, it gave my family a shot. And again, you know, I learned with in Boston, if you dream big, if you work hard, good things can happen. But it's also a place where my uncle became infected with HIV. And watching that crisis unfold in my family and really spurred in me an interest in public health and medicine and addressing injustice. And so that's the Boston that I remember. That's the Boston that I came back to, you know, over 10 years ago. Well, talk a little bit about that trip because you, I mean, you went away to college, you really traveled the world, you're a Fulbright scholar, you went to Yale Medical School, and you ended up back in Boston working at BMC um, in, in the emergency room. How, how did you end up back here? That's a great question. So I, you know, because of my uncle's uh, tragic death from HIV and his only issue was that he was a poor Latino man who couldn't access care. Yeah. You know, for me, at, the, at an early age, I understood that, or I began to understand quite early that medicine and, and public health, it's so related to what I would call the social determinants of health. Mm. You know, whether you had an economic opportunity, whether you went to good schools and those who didn't have those things, 
they usually ended up with bad health outcomes or bad socioeconomic outcomes. And so for me, my life has really been dedicated to public service. And so after college, um, and I think you'll appreciate this because we left Boston, a very urban part of Boston, and actually moved to rural Texas for a number of years hmm. and completely different you know, environment. We drove down there. We couldn't afford plane tickets, obviously. You know, it taught me a lot about people that although they can be, you know, very different, you know, urban Roxbury, rural Texas, that we actually have a lot in common, more than we think we do. And I wanted to be a physician because of my uncle. And yeah. I wanted to be an HIV AIDS doctor. And I developed an interest in, you know, traveling and the world and cultural. And so I spent five years abroad. Yeah. I did the first two years as a Peace Corps volunteer living in the Dominican Republic, working with Haitian um, immigrants there, a very challenging situation. You know, 8 million people in the DR, 1 million of which are Haitian, many of which are undocumented. And so working with these young, bright, incredibly resourceful Haitian immigrants yeah. who never, you know, who lost the birth lottery, right? And these right. are some of the smartest kids I've ever, you know, worked with. But again, that me, that showed to me that there was so much work to do. Yeah. And so I spent about five years abroad, lived in Montreal, studied French, did a lot of Haitian diaspora research, was a Fulbright scholar in Paris. And the plan was to always go to medical school and become some international global health doctor. Mm -hmm. But my last year living in Paris as a Fulbright scholar, um, I missed speaking English. I missed my home. And I thought to myself, all these issues you were trying to address living abroad, like that stuff is happening back in America. Right. That stuff is happening in Boston, Massachusetts. And so, you know, the disparities that I wanted to address, it's happening in my own country. And like, let's make America, let's make Boston be a model for the world. So I moved back to Boston, uh, my family had left the city. Some had were out in the suburbs. Many had left the state. But I moved back to Boston by myself with seventy dollars in my wallet, and I crashed at my friend's place um, for a couple of months. I got a job at Boston Public Health Commission. Then I ended up at Yale School of Medicine, mm -hmm. and I got my dream job at Boston Medical Center. And you know, the vast majority of kids who who end up at Yale don't end up at BMC because they want to go to the big academic centers. And I said, listen, I want to be with the people. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's been really you know one of the the honors of my life to work at Boston Medical Center, truly doing, you know, I mean, what they do there, saving the lives that they do and the people that they do, it's, it's a challenging job, but it's one that's incredibly rewarding. It's an absolutely incredible place. And we're so lucky in Boston to have Boston Medical Center. Can you talk a little bit about what working in the ER, um, what, first of all, just what is, what kind of view do you have of Boston that all of us might not have? And, and what stories can you tell us about Boston? And, and did that, working in the ER, did that in any way influence you to run for state representative and, and now to run for mayor? Yeah, no, I, yes and yes. Uh, Boston Medical Center, you know, what I refer to as Boston City Hospital sometimes. Yeah, uh, right. The is, it's an amazing place. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous place. And what I love most about it is because they take the uh, 10,000 kind of view. Um, you know, they understand that so much of what we see in the emergency room is related to what's happening in the community, right? right. And that's what I've come to become a, a strong believer in. I mean, whether it's a stroke, a heart attack, a gunshot wound, that is all traced back into the community. Right. About how we address these root causes, right? You know, whether it's poverty, the lack of economic and educational opportunity, that will ultimately manifest into some sort of life-threatening medical emergency. Right. And then I'll see them. But, you know, if I get to save their life, like, that's great. You know, well, you know, we're happy in the emergency department, but ultimately they keep on coming back to the emergency department, right. whether it's another gunshot wound, whether it's another overdose, whether it's, look, I can't pay my medication. 
And so for me, you know, Boston Medical Center represents the best of Boston, but also represents, you know, some of its challenges because you see them upfront in a very personal way. And it's the community I serve. I live just a couple blocks from it. Right. And so as mayor, what would your priorities be then? How, how do you look at what needs to happen for the city as we move hopefully out of COVID and into recovery and all of the things that that disallowed from a proper education for folks to social interactions with friends and family? What does the mayor of Boston need to do in order to bring Boston back? Well, I, I think the mayor of Boston needs a, a foundational, a very comprehensive view of what the future could and should look like, mm. right? I think a place like Boston Medical Center allows for that, right? Because it teaches you that, listen, you know, this 21-year-old kid who happened to get shot in the chest here, it's not a random occurrence. I mean, when I take care of gunshot wound, it is always the same thing. It is always a young black or brown male, right? Mm. And you, you begin to develop these patterns. And you get and you begin to associate them with what's going on in the respective communities. Right. And for me, that starts off with housing and education, first and foremost, and this gross inequity that we have here in the city of Boston. I'll give you an example, Jill. In my state rep district, there was a 30-year life expectancy difference from Copley Square to Nubian Square, 30 years in a 30-minute walk. To me, that's shameful that we're living in arguably the mecca of healthcare, right? So many resources and so many people doing well, but we have such a gross inequity in the city of Boston. Drill into that a little bit so that people understand that 30-year inequity. What 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 is I mean, it's pollution, it's, it's lack of it is everything. It's what we call in medicine the social determinants of health. Right. You know, and if and if win or lose this campaign, if I could insert that verbiage into this world, I mean I I would consider it a win. It's the idea that so much of the stuff that we care about, you know, whether that's uh, you know, certain outcomes, they're all predicated on these things called the social determinants of health whether someone has access to a good place to live, whether someone has access to, to transportation, whether you go to a good school, whether you have parents that are engaged in your education. For me, that is, and those are the hardest things to fix, right? Right. You know, right. But those are the ones that we should be investing in, you know, taking seriously and diving in to address, because that is ultimately how we begin to address things like gun violence, how we begin to address, a, 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 you know, a stagnating economic opportunity for certain communities. It is those issues that, you know, why I got into politics in the first place in 2018. I never envisioned myself as a politician. I jumped in because I became frustrated with what I was seeing in the emergency department and the lack of representation that my community was getting. And so I did this audacious thing of challenging uh, a long time and well-respected mm-hmm. representative. And so for the past two plus years, we've been in the state house really fighting for those things, those transformative things, whether that's, you know, passing housing reform, passing a student opportunity act, which helped to address some of the uh, issues with respect to funding. That's what my life has been about because that is ultimately how we fix things. So talk a little bit about being a state representative, um, you're the state representative for the ninth district. And so what has that been like? And what, what have you advocated for in addition to um, the work that you've done to benefit kids and education at the state house? And, and what's it like at the state house right now, you know, because of the tenor of, of the world? Yeah, so the state house is, uh, you know, it's the oldest continuously kind of serving uh, legislative body in, in maybe the world, I think. Maybe, you know, I think England has a speed. And it's been a great opportunity. My first year in office, um, you know, it was a very almost standard year in terms of you're in the bullpen, you're working, 
you know, it's very hierarchical in nature, almost like a hospital. You have to work your way up the ladder, right? Okay. And so issues that matter to me the most and my community, you know, that I learned through door knocking on 9,000 doors were issues of housing, issues of respect to education, and this opioid epidemic that was, you know, growing in size uh, on the corner here. So we took those issues to the state house. And what we did in particular is that we took the stories of my patients and my community members to the state house. You know, medicine and politics are similar, but they're also very dissimilar in the fact that in the hospital, I really, when I present a patient to a doctor or when a medical student presents a patient to me, mm. it's all about data, evidence-based this and that. Uh, it's not so much about stories, right? Right. In, in the legislature, it's the exact opposite, right? You know, <laughs> like they're like, oh, this is too much data, right? So I have a lot of times, a difficult time really trying to inform my doctor friends who want to get involved in politics. It's like, just because the data says it doesn't mean it's always, you know, what we should do, right. you know? Um, and so first year was great. You know, we did something, I think, you know, we were able, even as a first term representative to get, you know, over a million dollars to address some of the opioid issues here in, uh, on NASAB, which just to give you some context, I mean, the average is 25 to you know $50,000. Uh, but over the second year, things changed dramatically given COVID-19, right? Yeah. And I'm very honored that the speaker of the house asked me to serve on his COVID transit or COVID task force, five members, to really come up with a plan to make sure that the House of Representatives was still running. As you know, everything stopped a year ago, yeah, right? right. Now, people weren't even going outside, but government had to keep on continuing to serve the people of Massachusetts. So one of the cool things that we did is that we designed a system to remote vote, to keep government running. And as a result, we were able to pass important progressive legislation that I would argue allowed us to be very productive in, in, the, in the last year and passed some incredible uh, a number of bills, and you know, and now you know we're starting the session again this year, looking, and we're still operating remotely, obviously. Right. Uh, but you know, for me, it's always been about my community, housing, education, and the opioid epidemic. Those are the three issues you were hearing in my community on every door I knocked on. Do people agree with you when you're knocking on doors as they think about what they want their Boston to be? Is is are those the topics that come up the most? I think so. And I, you know, over the course of this campaign, you know, we've been in every neighborhood all across the city of Boston and we're hearing the same thing, you know, and I don't care if you're in Charlestown or if you're in West Roxbury or if you're in South Erie, I mean, people want issues to be addressed first yeah. and foremost. And ultimately, Jill, I jumped in this race is because I view myself as a person of action, right? You know, I don't have time to sit around and wait around and nor do the people of Boston, nor do the kids uh, in school, nor do the people lacking housing. We need people to move and we need a level of urgency that we haven't been getting. And so, you know, if we don't have that level of urgency in the emergency room, you know, people quite literally die. Yeah. And so this past year in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which I would argue exposed the inequities as exacerbated all of them, right? You know, after the first uh, surge went down, I actually got deployed for a couple of months, Jill. I'm not, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I'm a captain of the army. I got deployed for a couple of months. I got back on the 15th. Where'd you I go? I went to Kuwait, you know, I was serving in the biggest emergency department in the Middle East uh, for, uh, for soldiers. And, uh, and I got back and, um, you know, I got to thinking like, how can I best serve my city, you know, my community, my neighborhood that is still in crisis, right? You know, because let me just be very clear, vaccine, you know, uh, vaccine rollout has increased significantly. Mm -hmm. You know, we're top 10 in the country. I think we're over 50% vaccinated, over a third fully vaccinated. But this recovery is going to last years, right? Talk about why. Well, because I think the epidemic has shown us is that maybe we weren't as 
you know, resilient as we thought we were, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe these communities of color, maybe these poor folks, maybe these elderly communities, maybe, you know, people were living in crisis long before COVID-19 was here. Yeah. So I would hope, you know, that the vast majority of us, anyone who's, who's paying attention to the news, yeah. realize that and saw that in a very personal way. And for people like me and my colleagues at Boston Medical Center, it is no surprise to us that certain communities were going to be disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. If you asked me, Jill, a year ago, in the middle of the first surge, what three communities would be hit the hardest? I would tell you, communities of color, the elderly, and the homeless. But you know what? I think one thing that Marty Walsh did well, the former mayor, is that he understood the nexus between some of these issues, right? Yeah, right. Um, housing and COVID-19. He housed people, and actually they did fairly well. And so if we can, you know, as a society, as a city, with the proper leadership and with courageous political leadership, move forward on the issues that, you know, that are going to change things, that I felt, you know, I feel that have not been changed enough, um, then we can have some success, then we can have greater equity. And that's what I'm fighting for. And that's what I've given my life to. Can we talk a little bit about courageous leadership? Because it seems to me in a city like Boston, where the majority of folks are pretty liberal, and we kind of all violently agree with um, certain things that, that need to change, including the things that you're bringing up around public health needs and education. Um, can you talk about leadership and how you would lead the city and who would you choose to lead different departments across the city to, to ensure that this the right things happen in, in housing, in public health, in food security, um, in safety, in yeah. education? Who, yeah. who can, you don't have to say by names, but what types of people do we need? Are you looking um, for a job, Jill? Or? You know. <laughs> I think listen, I, I think to me my life has really been about you know leadership right mm-hmm. that's what you're trained to do as an officer in the army as a Peace Corps volunteer you're, you're sent to community all by yourself and you have no choice but to, to lead if you want to get things done yeah. and in the emergency department that's what we do each and every shift you know when there's a trauma case we assemble the team we inspire team we galvanize folks to achieve the objectives so we're very results oriented. We're very solution driven. And that's how we need the city of Boston running and operating in a very efficient way that is getting things done and that is holding people accountable. And listen, ultimately, at the end of the day, the question I ask myself, like, are my patients at Boston Medical Center getting the best care they can get? You know, are my constituents in the ninth Suffolk District getting the best representation that they deserve? Am I showing up? Am I getting things done for them? And if I'm not, you know, then we have to have a uh, you know, change of course there. And that's what I think the city of Boston needs right now. And that's why I jumped in this race. You know, we have an educational crisis that has been there for decades, right? Yeah. You know, we have a housing crisis that is not getting any better. All these things have gotten worse in the year of COVID-19. Right. So Boston really needs someone who's dedicated to having, you know, the leadership credentials to getting things done. And that's what we've been doing our entire life. So when it comes to people that I want to hire, I don't have any specific names, right? You no, know, we're not taking out applications. You know, we got a campaign to run. But I'm committed to people who, at the end of the day, their priorities are aligned with mine. And that is serving the most vulnerable people in the city of Boston, right? And that's what my life's been about. You know, how do we serve those most underserved? And our, our thoughts and our policies and everything we're doing and our resources and our investment and our budgets, are they focused on that? And that's what I'm going to be committed to doing as the next mayor of Boston. I want to drill down on something you said earlier, uh, you were talking about, you know, how young males of color are ending up in the emergency room. Um, and you talked about one who had been shot. Um, 
very recently that you cared for and and that this is just a crisis that's being perpetuated by by covid uh, by inequities and by education that education would be one of the systems that you would use as a lever to transform the way that that these boys um the opportunities that these that these boys have and um i wonder if you could comment on the school committee and the superintendent decided to waive all graduation requirements this year and so our seniors are graduating having potentially not met um the, you know the number of times that they need to be present in school the work that they need to do the grades that they need to achieve etc et we, we waived all graduation requirements and the thing that worries me about that is that no one catches those kids. Someone is in charge of taking care of those kids while they are in our K through 12 system. When we graduate them, there is a giant void that we leave for these kids. And, and when we look at, um, for example, those who are going to community colleges, if we don't know that we've fortified them from an education perspective, wow. they then have to take those courses again right? Math, and it's required that they take these remediation courses that they have to pay for and that they can't use government funding for before they're allowed to actually take college courses and earn college credits, which of course is very demoralizing and so many of them drop out. And, and we worry that that's going to happen more and more. It happened more than ever last year. And we worry that this year will be even a bigger crisis. And so it's just one, one decision, right? But it's a pretty big one when you talk about the other side of this being that those kids are in neighborhoods and what are they going to do next and so can you talk a little bit about how what are the right levers to pull an education in boston yeah. so that kids are getting a fair shake and and a full education well I, you know, well I think what's the most frustrating part about this debate jill is that we're often talking about this debate when the student is already a teenager Right. You know, when they're already, you know, uh, applying to the exam schools or they're on their way to graduating. Right. Right. I mean, you know, we are fighting a battle, but losing the war. Right. You know, and I think we are not having a, a comprehensive big picture idea. Right. We've lost a lot of these students long before they entered high school. Right. You know, we've given up on them long before they've, they've, they've had the opportunity to apply to these exam schools. Yeah. Right. The opportunities they have to graduate college, you know, we're losing them. You know, you know, we have to get involved at a very early stage, right? Yeah. And I think about one of, one of the programs I love at Boston Medical Center Jail is a program called the Violence Intervention Advocacy Program. It is a program that understands this idea that, you know, a person is shot in the emergency department, that, but they are so much more than just being a gunshot victim, right? They're there as a result of that lack of educational economic opportunity. So one of the first things that happens at Boston Medical Center, and this is true, that when a person is wheeled in, to the trauma room and this happens in minutes right yeah. you know you get a call it's like 20 seconds we're coming in with a, uh, a young person who's been shot you're doing your best to save your life and one of the first person that shows up with me is a guy named rusty who runs a program called the violence intervention advocacy program and rusty's role is there because he understands that that child maybe these are children some of these people yeah. are there because of the reasons we've discussed right and so as soon as we medically stabilize the patient Rusty is going to be with that patient throughout his stay in the emergency department so he can get them the job he needs. So he can get he can get the GED that he might need. He can get the driver's license, the job, have the social connects in order to do something with his or her life. Yeah. And so for me, you know, what frustrates me, and listen, I've seen everything um, in the educational level. I went through poorly funded public schools. I've been to community colleges. I went to a big public school. I went to Yale School of Medicine. I've seen everything. Yeah. But I also see how kind of almost rigged the system, system is. 
you know, for those who've already been doing well, right? And for those of us who come from a certain socioeconomic strata, it's so much more difficult to get ahead, right? And if we don't start at the earliest of age, not just with the children, but also with their families as well, getting them engaged. You know, one thing I think it's very important is parent engagement, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously it's much more challenging in certain communities. Families work in two jobs, not as invested in their community, but I think if we incentivize them to get involved, if they want to get involved, right? And yeah. coming up with ways and that's like, you know, you, I know you care about universal basic income and that sort of thing, but what if we, you know, what if we paid parents to get more involved with their students, you know? What if we right. paid them to come to PTA meetings? You know, and looking at innovative, I, listen, I'm up for anything. Listen, what brings me, what, what if I we speak to, to them in their language? language. Well, yeah, surprise, surprise, right? You know, right. at Boston Medical Center, we take very, you know, uh, you know, the importance of cultural competency. Yeah. You know, I mean, my wife's an immigrant. You know, we speak at home. We speak French. You know, I speak Spanish. You know, I know what it's like to speak to a Spanish-speaking patient in their proper language, yeah. right? Yeah. The bond yeah. that makes, the ability to empathize, to learn, to engage. And to me, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know, if we and if we respected those cultural uh, norms and had an increased level of cultural competency at Boston Public School, which you know, the vast majority of kids are minority. Yeah. You know, forty-two percent are Latino. I mean, I see myself in these children, right? And I wonder, you know, I got, and to be honest with you, Jill, I you know, I just I got lucky. You know, listen, I worked hard, and I'll take that. But I got lucky. You know, I took care, uh, uh, I took advantage of some opportunities. But we're not giving enough opportunities for these kids to be taken advantage of, for them to take advantage of, yeah. and, and particularly not at the early age. I mean, we're talking about the exam schools. We're talking about high schools. I mean, so many of these children are lost essentially, you know, long before that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So let's close out this episode by um, talking about the Boston that you love with just some, a quick lightning round of questions about Boston. And so the first one, John, just quick answers are, yeah. um, you know, anywhere in the city, where do you go? If you just want to relax and kick, kick back in the city. You know, um, after a, a, a crazy emergency room shift, I will walk over to Blackstone Park yeah, and wow. uh, just sit down and just uh, kind of just relax in the sun that comes out just above the tree yeah. line and just kind of sit back in my scrubs and just, you know, think about the shift or what's to look forward to and think about my patients. That's beautiful. Uh, do you have a favorite sports team? Yes, the Celtics. I was a, a big Kevin McHale fan growing up. He was my favorite player. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Larry Bird is up there as well. But the Celtics, and who seem to be up and down this season, depending how you want to define that. But the, the Celtics are my team. Uh, obviously, you know, I represent Fenway here as, a, as in the ninth Suffolk. So, you know, the Red Sox and uh, the Bruins, you know, Boston teams through and through. They're just all great. Um, yeah. Where do you like to go to get a cup of coffee? So, you know, funny, I don't drink coffee. Ah. Um, you know, people say, wow, you went through medical school and residency, you didn't drink coffee. You have a lot of energy for somebody yeah. who doesn't drink so, coffee. I, um, I do have, a, every once in a while, I have like an espresso because my wife is like Franco-Italian. So, you know, she like, you know, when we go in-laws and stuff, I have to have one. So um, I don't drink much coffee. Um, we do I, we do have flour down in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, we'll stop by there and get a snack every once in a while. And they, they have like a nice uh, uh, raspberry type tea thing that I, I might get. Okay. And then I always ask this question because I'm, I'm always so curious about the design of the um, City Hall. It's an example of brutalist architecture. Uh, what do you like about City Hall? Um, you know, I like that hopefully in you know, six, seven months, I'll have the opportunity to lead the city um, in this new direction. And regardless of the, the way the building looks like, it doesn't matter what it looks like, but what's inside, right? You know, right. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully we'll be leaving that. But yeah, it's, um, 
it's, you know, my, I think the mayor of Walsh wanted to transform the kind of the outer plaza. And I'm looking forward to what that looks like in the, in the you know, the upcoming year. Beautiful. John, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's, it's wonderful to talk with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. No, thank you, Jill. Look forward to more conversations. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. John Santiago. If you would like to learn more about John Santiago's campaign, please visit our blog. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future of Boston. Have a great day.